Welcome to the Taiwanese Diaspora Podcast, where we use personal storytelling to connect people of Taiwanese heritage from all around the world. I am Cynthia, and I'm excited to use this podcast platform as a way to explore what it means to be Taiwanese X. 大家好，欢迎收听台湾人网络广播，我是阿秀。然后用这个平台来跟华侨华裔的台湾人聊他们的生活过程和未来的梦想。Awesome! So, Wendy, thank you for reaching out and for wanting to talk to us about your experience and background growing up. Let's get started. I have your brief bio here, but I figured you can just introduce yourself to everyone. Okay, sure. So, a little bit about myself, you know. First of all, I was actually introduced to this podcast by my mom. I、uh, showed her, you know, the world of podcasts, and then she went off on her own and just found、uh, this podcast in specific. So I,、uh, you know, gave it a listen, and I was like, you know what, this is very well aligned with my identity, and you know, there's definitely conversations I want to have out in the open in regards to you know race and identity. And so, a little bit about myself. I was born in Taipei, but I moved here when I was three years old. So you know, I am part of this weird Generation 1.5, and I've kind of felt a split identity throughout my life. You know, I don't recall living in Taiwan since I spent only three years there. However, on the flip side, my parents have always been very adamant about keeping our family connected to the motherland and just learning our roots. So my brother and I have always visited、uh, Taipei on a yearly annual basis, and so I've always been well embedded into the Taiwanese culture as well. However, you know, growing up, I I have always felt kind of like a perpetual outsider. You know, I've stumbled between、uh, not being Asian enough versus still being characterized as whitewashed. And so, fast forward to today, you know, I am a little more confident in who I am, and I I'm not so confused about my split、uh, 1.5 identity anymore. And based on my、uh, experiences, you know, from Asian American cultural classes in college, I've definitely learned a lot, and as well as my career path has definitely shaped me into. Thank you. So we have a couple of different topics that we are going to touch on today. Before we do that, do you want to do a quick intro in Mandarin or Taiwanese? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I can definitely do it in、uh, Chinese. Taiwanese probably not. <laughs> Chinese. Hi, 大家好 You know, 我是呃，我叫 Winnie， and 我是在台湾生的。我三岁的时候搬来美国，但是我从小到大，我爸妈就是。想让我跟我的弟弟学中文什么，所以我们就是有去中文学校，有很常回台湾，所以就是算是已经是嗯很很懂台湾的这个 culture， 所以我从小到大就是有点 struggle between 呃我到底是美国人还是台湾人，所以就是会有那种想法，可是现在已经 grow to be confident in 我自己是。Let's start off talking about your Chinese school experience because you wrote、um, to me that you were a little rebellious and angsty, and went off and ditched. So we'd love to hear about that. Yeah, I think it was sure,、so. pretty common, maybe desire for a lot of people, but I'm not sure that a lot of people had the wherewithal or 胆子 to actually do it. 
Yeah, so actually that's an interesting story. So um yeah, so I actually attended TG. Have you have you heard of TG? TG um I don't know where is that in California only or uh I think it's worldwide actually and they're also very well embedded in Buddhism. Anyways, so Suji, <laughs> right? So I would Suji, my classes were every Sunday and so I never enjoyed going to Chinese school. I didn't want to wake up early. You know, I just thought it was a waste of my time. And so it was also the time period when I was, you know, rebellious and it was like the angsty um, adolescent years. And so I would, I would often ditch and, and I would also get in trouble with all my Chinese school teachers. And there was this whole traumatic experience that occurred out of that because my Chinese school teacher actually talk to my mom about me and it was it was very intense she was like oh you know and he took a hide the you know and so my yeah it was pretty horrible and it was my mom told me that it was also on mother's day when that happened and i actually had no idea because my parents kept this away from me you know i i think they just didn't feel as though i was mature enough to really understand what was going on and I think they were also forgiving enough to understand that the teacher was also a little crazy. You know, you, you don't just get into people's business like that. And so she was just, the teacher would just tell my mom like, hey, like, you know, and then that obviously hurt my mom a lot because it happened to be Mother's Day as well on that day. And so I remember my mom, she told me afterwards that she actually cried that day. She felt I'm sure um, she also felt, I want to say embarrassment, but also a need to be on my side as well. And I think that's what a lot of um, Asian American parents also kind of deal with as well. And for myself, you know, it's just more of a split identity. You know, I kind of, I had no interest in learning Chinese at that time. And yeah, so I think it was just an all around um, mess. You know, Chinese school is just not really a good idea. And it's just kind of a complex balance between my parents wanting us to stay true to our roots, but me feeling like I've already assimilated into the American culture and didn't understand, you know, why I had to still attend Chinese school and be true to my roots and all of that. So would you say that there was a point in time where you felt more connected or what what made you consider wanting to know your roots more? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I'm actually going to talk a little bit about my timeline from when I first moved here. So, you know, when I first immigrated here, uh, my mom would always drop off little bento boxes with like hondo bean, you know, like red bean cake. And I would just hold on to her hand and I would just beg her to stay with me during um, kindergarten because I didn't feel like I fit in with the rest of the kids. And, you know, grant, granted, maybe I was just a clingy kid who needed um, love and attention, but I'm sure at that time I was also lost and I wasn't sure how to properly pinpoint what was going on because I had just moved, you know, and so, and then, so there was that, I was in kindergarten where I felt, you know, no, I'm, you know, I'm Taiwanese, why, why am I here? I don't know these people, I don't fit in. And then, you know, once I've assimilated into the American culture, the tables really have turned because it was around middle school when I started to, you know, rebel. And that was also the Chinese school years. And so during this time, instead of, you know, wanting my parents to be there for me, I was always super 
um, embarrassed. I would I remember thinking, you know, how dare my parents speak Chinese to me in front of my friends? I, you know, I want nothing more than to disappear out of thin air. And then these thoughts would just pervade my mind, and it, it further, you know, contributed to my identity confusion. And there was this one time I remember my parents because they still bring it up to this day. So. I was part of the drill and dance team in middle school. And then during one of my parades, my cousin shouted out my Chinese name. And so I was so embarrassed. I didn't pretend I didn't know her or my family. And I just looked off to the side, you know, brushed it off, had a conversation with another drill team member. But internally, I was, you know, dealing with singing sharp pain of embarrassment. And so, you know, I think growing up, I've always never really understood the true meaning behind the word privilege, you know, I never really thought about my parents and how privileged my brother and I really are. And I think, you know, it helped me to reach the pivotal moment during, I want to say during college when I took a couple of Asian American studies. And I, that's why I think the importance of cultural studies is crucial. You know, I think, I think it helps break common ground. It helps you understand on a more intricate level, you know, the experiences that have shaped you to become who you are today. And I, I remember learning terms such as, you know, ethnic enclave, simulation, you know, all of that good stuff. And I was thinking like, hey, this is exactly what happened to me. This is very applicable to me. And so I think it was college and post-college and now when I started looking back and learning, you know, I definitely regret those uh, middle school years, I was immature, you know, I never thought about the meaning behind the word privilege, and how, you know, my parents had left their family, their friends, and the home that they built together, which I visit every year, so I know really well, <laughs> you know, and so they did all this, all, all these sacrifices were made for us, for their children, and so, you know, fast forward today, I can't even begin to express the amount of gratitude when I think about this you know it's very it's truly immeasurable and then also of course the guilt towards how I was an angsty rebellious um unknowing teenager yeah I can totally relate to that too if I think back to yeah and then you think back and you're just oh my god just regret you know it's like why was I so embarrassed yeah yeah you're embarrassed about being embarrassed right. now. <laughs> oh, have you told your parents lately that you are, you know, grateful for what they've done? So, um, as I mentioned previously, you know, we do take yearly trips to Taiwan. And I think, so I actually just got back from Taiwan. So perfect timing, like this past week. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So, you know, I was immersed in the circle family table dinners, you know, cockroaches everywhere. Anyways, so my, I, there are some thoughts that would pervade my mind during this, um, during this yearly visit. This one thought came to mind and it's, would my parents be happier if they had stayed in Taiwan? You know, I wonder about how their career path would have turned out, if it would have been more gratifying for either one of them, you know, than the ones that they've built in America, because there's obviously, you know, a language barrier, which is inevitable. And I think, and I think there is one particular area that I know saddens them, which is that they, they aren't able to be there for their parents, you know, physically. And I think being physically 
physically being there means a lot to the elderly. And so they're not able to take care of their parents, you know, because they're here, their family is in Taiwan. And also, I think I was also thinking about this on a social aspect, you know, I think um, they would definitely be able to have more of a social life. It's not to say that their their social life here is non-existent, but, you know, when it comes to conversationally, when it comes to playful banter and, and wit, you know, I think it's easier in a first language. And that's something I've learned on, on the flip side, too, because when I take trips to uh, my yearly trips to Taiwan, you know, I'm able to have conversations with my cousins, you know, friends, you know, with a Dolan, you know, understand he's just slaying, you know, or elaborating my thoughts in a more intricate way. It, it, it gets a little difficult when it comes to um, conversational, playful banter and way. It's, it's definitely easier in a first language. And so, that's something I've learned as well, because when I go back to Taiwan and I try to, you know, explain what I do as a career or, you know, try to make jokes in uh, Chinese, it's not as easy, you know. And so, of course, well, the one isn't horrible, but, you know, I do have trouble understanding slang or trying to elaborate my thoughts in a more complex way. So, and so I'm, I don't feel that I'm able to fully express myself in a way that I can with English. And so I think about how my parents are the exact opposite. I still completely identify and I'm proud of my Taiwanese heritage, but you know, I think my parents have definitely have, have definitely had to deal with um, the inevitable language barrier of being here. And so I think that definitely impacts their social career, just everything in their day-to-day -day lives. You know, and so I think of that and then I can see the sacrifices that they've made and all that they've left because they've built a life in Taiwan for themselves, but then they moved here simply for us. And so if I could sum that up using one word, um, the only word that comes to mind would be gratitude. And I am endlessly grateful for being able to be here, to be able to pursue a career path, which I'm sure we'll get into, of my choice, you know, without any pressure from them to pick up a certain career path so yeah when I can if I can sum it up in one word it would just be gratitude it really is just being That's truly so grateful to hear <laughs> yeah it's it's um it's a learning process I would say you know you don't you don't realize things as they happen but then you look back and you're like oh you know why did I act like that why was I so rebellious and angsty and but it all makes sense now. Yeah, definitely. But you paved the way right now just to talk about your career path. So what do you do and how did you get there? And what did you want to be when you were little? Yeah, so I, when I was little, I, I, I actually always wanted to be an author. I think throughout my life, I'd easily replace Saturday morning cartoons with journaling or, you know, I'd always carry a little journal around around with me to you know the dentist appointment and I just I would thrive through writing and I feel like that's one aspect of my life that has remained unwavering and so my back in the day you know my dream job was always to be an author I really would just have my nose buried in a book or you know just as I said carry a journal with me everywhere and so you know, to this day, I would still love to become a published author someday, but, you know, I think talent only makes up a small percentage. 
I think if someone really wants to be an author or writer, you know, it takes a lot of grit and consistency and the willingness to try. And so I decided, you know, why don't I choose a career path that aligns my passions and interests together, as well as my skill set. And so I have always enjoyed building genuine uh, human connections, as well as enjoyed writing. And so I found the career path of uh, public relations. And so it hasn't been completely smooth, so to say, but I think, you know, I think your experience is both character. And I think that for anyone out there listening who is interested in the field of PR, communications, and media, I think that there's so many great opportunities out there. I think it's always in high demand. And it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter your race, background, all of that. I think I say to just go for it. For me personally, my parents have never forced me to go into STEM career field, although they both are in STEM. So naturally, looking back, you'd assume that they want their children to, you know, also follow footsteps or at least push them in the direction of doing so. But I remember just being told to do what I love. And so I was never discouraged to follow my passions which means more to me now than ever before, because back in the day, you know, you don't realize what's happening as it happens. And so to this day, I can't imagine being an accountant or, or some, some monotonous field that requires math or science. It's, just, it's, it's not me. At the end of the day, you really do have to love what you do. And I think that takes time, that takes trial and error, but it doesn't matter if your career path is not stereotypically what your parents want or what you know, what everyone else feels like you should do, it, it matters what you want to do. And I think, as I said, you know, that takes some trial and error, it takes some contemplation, but it's all in your hands. It's up to you. And I think if there's something that you want to do. So walk happens. us through what a day in your life is at a PR firm. Okay, yeah. So it, I want to say that it differentiates day to day. You know, I, I work on, I work on some very high scale accounts and I'm not sure if you guys have heard of, you know, the California Endowment, um, Expedia, you know, for example. So I want to say that I work at the intersection of, you know, social media communications and PR as a firm as a whole. We actually market to ethnic audiences, meaning that we keep close relationships with ethnic media. So Spanish, you know, Chinese. And so we are able to amplify communications needs to create statewide impact from a local scale. So I definitely do love what I do. And I think it's important to get your foot in the door with agency experience if you want to work in PR. And I, yeah, so I'm also in charge of, you know, developing communication plans, everything from that to hosting uh, webinars and media and teaching people how to, you know, create written communications, such as releases, uh, media advisories, and op-eds, and letters to editors. And our firm also helps with creative assets and website development. So every day differentiates, I would say, but it's always exciting. I think it keeps us on our toes. It's a very fast-paced work, but always exciting. That's awesome. It's so cool that you get to do a little bit of different mm-hmm. things yeah. every day, it sounds like. Yeah, definitely. And I think, as I said, I can never be able to do something that I don't enjoy doing, such as math or science and just something more on the monotonous side. Yeah. So you guys are specializing in reaching diverse and ethnic audiences. Can you talk a little bit about what perhaps like a campaign looks like? 
specifically for the ethnic audience. Okay, here's a good example. So um, my CEO actually started a, founded a nonprofit called APALS. And so APALF actually helps um, Asian American candidates with, who want to be, you know, local state policy leaders, uh, stakeholders. So everything within the government and political sector. So our CEO actually helps train um, people who want to be work in the elected office and just become public servants. And I think that's a niche, you know, I, it's in high demand in a sense where there's nothing else quite resembling um, what it is. You know, I think the initiative, it, it shows that I respect for diversity. I think it helps place and secure Asian Americans into the field of politics. And I think, I think that's very, um, yeah, it's cool. It's cool to see. I think um, maybe, maybe I'm just more aware about um, the candidates for political office nowadays, but where I grew up, we didn't really have a lot of Asian candidates. And I think, I don't know, is it, do you think that there was a change recently or do you think that's always been there? I was just unaware. No, I think there's definitely been a change recently. I think we're all striving to have a seat at the table. And I think that's irregardless of um, the political field or media in general. You know, I think Asian Americans, um, I, I think it's so important because I think stereotypes render true to a certain extent. You know, I think Asian Americans can be considered, you know, passive or, or, or a little bit more on the quiet side. And I, I, not that I disagree, but I would hope to sh uh, shape a different outlook for Asian Americans. And I think that comes with having a public voice. And I think that can start with politics. That can start with, you know, um, movies, you know, Crazy Rich Asians. It can start with just being in the PR field and just taking that extra step to make your voice heard and reach, you know, audiences of all kinds to say, hey, you know, this, this is us. We're Asian Americans. and we this is who we are you know we we aren't the typical passive or quiet you know people that you think we are but here's what here's who we are and here's what we think about a certain issue or topic so i think yeah when it, it all comes down to having a seat at the table and just utilizing a collective strong voice so what do you want to do long term yeah so i still want to be a published author <laughs> But as I said, you know, I think talent all only makes up a small percentage when it comes to being a, an author. And I think, you know, chances of being published and scoring a literary agent, you know, the road is a long one and one less traveled. So I do want to reach success in my own field first. And I do, you know, so PR, marketing, communications, and then maybe eventually I can grow to become, you know, comfort, comfortably retired and just write my own biography. I feel like that's a lot of what successful people do nowadays, like, oh, you know, I've reached the end of my career. Let me write about my story and then let me make some profit off of it. <laughs> so I think that's, yeah, so I think I definitely want to continue what I'm doing now. And I just want to make it clear that, you know, my field is a great field for Asian Americans and it doesn't, oh, I actually do want to talk about this one, uh, this one time I faced racism in college, actually. So can I actually go into that first? Yeah, so uh, there's this one time where I was extremely aware of my um, my Asian American and Chinese identity. Asians in general gravitate towards fields such as math or science, just naturally, I would say. But you know, 
I chose to be in PI because I enjoy writing. And so it was never really a concern to me how little the amount of Asians there were in my, um, my major. However, at CSUN, within the journalism department, you know, there's very few Asian American women in my classes. And I ha hadn't experienced, you know, blatant racism until that day. And so in my PR writing class, there was a guest speaker. He wanted to give some insight on his work um, experience and just his overall time in the industry. And so the speaker actually started off asking me if there were any Koreans in the class. And, you know, and then he, he pointed me out and he asked if I was Korean. And so I shook my head, no, you know, and then he smiled and then continued to single me out and said that, he told the class, he said, we have one Asian woman in the class. And of course, I was already, you know, a red flag. I was already feeling uncomfortable, you know. And then he started to speak on his experience working for a Korean car company, which really has nothing to do with the class lecture. It has nothing to do with, you know, the curriculum. <laughs> so he started using derogatory and outdated terms such as dragon lady and then he made a bunch of racist remarks towards Koreans. He was you know rambling on and on about his distaste for them and just overall oh hatred and so yeah and so at this point I didn't it, he was just venting at this point you know and at this point I didn't understand how this would be beneficial to the class but he looked at me again and then he he made another comment and he said you know one thing I've learned from working with Asians is that they always say yes they don't know how to say no and then he pointed at me yeah and then he pointed at me and he said am I right and then even worse he proceeded to do some, some like um praying and bowing motions and so I was just so shocked that I froze and I'm really I'm probably so mad about this to this day that I didn't make any comments back because after class you know everyone rushed up to me and they were like what are you doing I would have you know probably cut him out right then and there but I was just I had never been so aware of my the fact that I was Asian at that time you know I was the only Asian in the journalism class per usual but I had never really acknowledge that I, I didn't think it was a big deal you know I think it was like 2017 it, it didn't matter you know why why would my race be singled out in the first place and so I, I had kind of a delayed effect in processing the whole experience it was pretty traumatic I'm me, still in shock as I hear this <laughs> I know and it, 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 it's just so rare to I don't know it was just so weird too because he singled me out in front of everyone and it was just based on his hatred for Koreans I guess he had a horrible experience working for them but first of all I'm not Korean you know I think that's just an, a whole nother tangent I can go into where you know Asian there's different intricacies of Asian ethnicities you know and a lot of people don't understand that either and so anyways my classmates were like oh I would have cussed her out but I was just shocked to my core and I was just struggling to you know muster any responses so I just froze which made me even more upset because the last thing I wanted was to feed into some passive Asian stereotype once again you know and so I did and I eventually emailed my professor just to I just wanted to make it clear you know I wanted to express my thoughts in a cohesive manner once I you know gathered my thoughts and so I just told her that I felt the comments were not only unnecessary, but straight up racist, you know, and very condescending. And I think 
this also uh, takes us back to what we were talking about earlier about the importance of teaching Asian American studies. And I think I want to believe that the guest speaker who came in was, you know, just very ignorant. That's what I want to believe. And I think that's why taking Asian American studies or any cultural studies for that matter really just brings, um, brings humans together to a more common mutual ground. And I think at the core of building genuine human relationships is understanding, you know, we're all different, but we're also more alike than we know. And I think it helps to have these Asian American studies classes or cultural studies to come to a core understanding. You know, I think growing up, I was like, well, I don't need to take a class in it because I already live it, right? But I think it's different to be able to actually have structured um, analysis or like have a shared experience with other people in the class. And now I wish, you know, I, I had taken some classes right. or something in it. Yeah, um, I think it's definitely it's definitely making waves now more than ever. I think a lot of colleges are picking up more cultural studies classes, and I think it it, it really does help because you're you're taking a class with people with similar backgrounds and upbringings, you know. And so sometimes you'll read essay narratives. Like for me, for myself, I remember reading some assigned books, and then I would think like, "Hey, this is exactly how I feel," or "This is exactly how I felt before." I just didn't know there was an exact term for what I was feeling, you know, and I think it's just, it's good. It, it, it definitely brings you back to your core identity and it, and it helps you think about, you know, who you are and what your parents have also done for you. And just as an Asian American and immigrating here and then assimilating into American culture, I think it's, it's good. It, it definitely brings a sense a new wave of understanding. Yeah, absolutely. So that leads me to want to ask you about some book recommendations or some term terminology that you think would be um, good to highlight here for everyone to kind of dive into later. Yeah, so my personal favorite is um, Goodbye Vitamin by Rachel Tong. I think it's just a really great, I think it's just a very lighthearted book, but I think the way she um, authors it is just it's a very easy, lighthearted read, you know, but I think it, she tackles topics that are actually a little heavy, but she does so in a way that's light and very filled with humor. You know, I, she talks about how her dad has, um, is struggling with Alzheimer's. And so she talks a little bit about her day to day and how her mom takes care of her, her dad. And she talks about her husband cheating. It, it's just a lot of heavy topics, but she does so in a way where it's very, where it's very lighthearted and it's very easy to read and easily digestible. And I think it's definitely a page turner. So I definitely recommend that. And just other books in general, I also just recommend Brain on Fire is a good one. If you're into, you know, mental health, I think Asian Americans, we tend to have this negative stigma of mental health still to this day. But I think it's important to yeah, I think it's important to touch upon those topics and just read and educate yourself on, you know, the importance of preserving your mental health. Yeah, I think those are a couple good starting points to start with. And if anybody wants to start a book club with me, I'd be more than happy. To I would. <laughs> oh my God, yes. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, we should Let's talk about it. that offline. About it. I think that'd be really fun. Or we can do a book club uh, over a podcast. I think would be really cool too. Um, yeah, we could do a TW uh, book club and then we can maybe like meet and discuss, you know, even yeah. over Facebook, 
Oh, that'd be great. That'd be, that's a good idea. Okay, let's consider, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, awesome. Um, so I think we covered a bunch of different topics. Thank you for bringing in just like this new, new topics, new light, bringing all that to the forefront. If people want to get in touch with you about if people are interested in learning more about PR or how to you know, get their foot in the door and they want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, so you can email me at winniechen95 at gmail.com or you can also um, follow me on Instagram at lilwonton <laughs> and that's spelled at L-I-L-W-O-N-N-T-O-N. You can definitely DM me there and I'm very open to talking about, you know, career, life, family, just experiences of Asian Americans. I think we Asian Americans have to sit together and just build a strong collective voice. I think that's really Awesome. Any last words? Uh, no, I think I'm looking forward to the book club if anyone else wants to join. And uh, I think it's been um, a rocky path, but now I'm at a point in my life where I completely identify and I'm proud of my Taiwanese heritage. And I hope that everyone else will be able to um, choose a career path that they love. And feel free to reach out to me if you'd like to chat about that. Awesome. Thanks for being on the show today, Winnie. It's been so fun talking with you. Thank you, Cynthia. It's been really fun as well. And I, yeah, I look forward to connecting again in the future. And that's it for today. Please send me a message on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at T-W-D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A or shoot me an email. It's hello at TaiwaneseDiaspora.com. And if you or other people you know have stories that they'd like to share on this podcast, please send them my way as well. All right. See you next time.